So, um, let me go ahead and get uh, started. Would you guys please pray with me as, as I start this message? Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy in our lives, and we thank you for just all that you give us. We especially thank you for your word and all that it teaches us about who you are and the love that you have for each and every one of us. So I pray, Father, that you would open our ears and help us to learn from your word this morning. In Jesus' name pray. Amen. All right, so it is a fifth Sunday. We do have kids in the room, so I am going to need your participation in church this morning as well, okay? So, and I want you guys to finish. Makes the world go round. Love, okay. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of the adults. I want to hear some of the kids here too. Ready? All's fair in blank and war. Love, there's some kids. Yep, see, I, I figured they would catch on pretty quick. Blank will find a way. Love, there we go. Very nice. And they will know we are Christians by our <laughs> love. There we go. I figured that would be the case. So, obviously, love is a big part of what we are going to be talking about today. What do you think the world would say Christians are known for? Are we known for the love of Jesus and our sacrificial love for others? Or are we known for the harshness in how we treat our spouse or children? Or our unwillingness to serve others? Or our passionate debates with others about controversial topics? As Christians, we have a unique perspective and a knowledge of what true love is. And it transforms the way that we live. Are we known for the love of Jesus and our sacrificial love? When we have been transformed by our faith in Jesus, the light of God's word and his love shines into the darkness of this world. If you look in the Bible at today's passage, most of your Bibles would probably have the title, Love One Another, right? Now, Joe started this discussion last week when he talked about a father's love and the way we experience adoptive love when we believe in him. But there are so many aspects of love, and I want to kind of talk about another one of those aspects today as we discuss this. Now, remember at the beginning of the series, Joe talked about walking up the staircase of a lighthouse and looking at the same landscape from different perspectives. And so that's what we're planning to do today, okay? So as Christians, we have a unique perspective. So what do you know about love? What does love wanting another, loving one another, teach us about our relationship with Jesus? Today we're going to be in 1 John 3, 11 through 24, and as we read this passage, I want you to pay particular attention to the word know, okay? Now kids, as we read this passage, if you want, you can actually count the number of times we use the word know. And then we're, once we're done, we're going to discuss some of the things that we know about our relationship with Jesus from this passage, and this will give us confidence in our faith. 
So 1 John 3, 11 through 24 says this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. But this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So kids, how many times did we use the word no? Five? Yeah, there's five or six times in there. We're actually going to talk about four of those this morning, okay? So good job listening. Very good. Um, But before we get too far in this message, I want to define the word no, because there's actually two different definitions of the word no. The first definition is to be aware of by observation or inquiry or information. This kind of knowledge is just in your mind, okay? The second definition for the word no is this, that you have developed a relationship with someone through meeting and spending time with them. Be familiar or friendly with. Our hope is that you understand and are fully experiencing the second definition today. Let's take a closer look at what we can know about our relationship with Jesus from this passage, okay? There's four things that I'm going to point out. We know life, we know love, we know truth, and we know abiding, okay? And we'll explain each of these as we go through them. So these things point to the work that Jesus has done inside of our lives and gives us assurance of our faith, okay? First of all, we know life. It, it, this passage teaches us that we can know life, okay? Let's look at verses 11 through 15. It says this, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, 
who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, as we get into these, some of these, I, I want you to realize these passages have so much in them. And, and when I was preparing for this, it was so hard to try and narrow some of this down. So I really just encourage you guys to read these passages on your own eventually as well and, and get so much more out of them. But I, w- I want to focus in on, on some things in here. All right, and a kid, again, kids, I need your help with this one. All right, I'm going to give you a word, and I want you to shout out the opposite of that word, Okay. So the first word is up, down, good. Daytime, nighttime, very good. Small, big, good. True, you guys are on a good, perfect record, good job. Hot, <laughs> good job. All right, how about friend? Enemy, very good, that one was a little tougher, okay. All right, so when I shared one thing, it was kind of obvious what the opposite was, right? Okay, you recognize it right away, probably without even thinking much about it. Why is it so easy to realize why these items are opposites? It is the essence or the characteristics of these words that reveal what they are. And there's an obvious distinction between the two. You see, the story of Cain and Abel in these verses was an example in the Bible of hatred toward a brother. It was hatred without cause. And this hate and murder is obviously the opposite of love. John's setting up in these verses a huge contrast between hate versus love, evil and righteousness. They contradict one another. This begins to help us to understand that there is one way that leads to death and one that leads to to life. Look at verse 14. It says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So first of all, verse 14 tells us that we know. Okay, we are convinced Why do we know this? The word because gives us the answer to that question. It says because we love the brothers. You see, love for others can be an evidence of our being saved and that our hearts have been regenerated by the power of the gospel. When we have realized that we are forgiven of our sins and no longer condemned to death, but have been given eternal life, we are transformed. The gift of love that Jesus gives us softens our hearts and begins to pour out to others in love. And love for others and love for those who may not love you back even sometimes is evidence of a new life inside of us. I'm not saying that we are perfect at this. 
but we make an effort. We sometimes give up our own selfish desires and place the needs of others before our own in order to love them just as Christ has done for you and me. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. We know life because we have experienced God's love, which brings us to the second thing that we know. We know love, okay? Verses 16 through 18 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's good and see, goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and, and in truth. Before we were Christians, we really did not understand or know what true love was. You see, love is more than just a sentiment or a thought. As humans, we tend to love those who are similar to us. But God's love is nothing like ours. As humans, we, we don't always love the way that we should. But God's love is patient and it's full of mercy. Despite the fact that we are sinners, God still chooses to love us. And his perfect love was demonstrated us, to us through the death of his son. He laid down his life for us. It is a sacrificial love. And I want to, to kind of talk about this, this word. I've been thinking a lot lately about the word lay down, or those, those terms, he laid down, okay? I want you to consider what it meant for Jesus to lay down his life. When you lay something down, though, I want you to remember that this is voluntary, or because you choose to do it. When you consider the magnitude of the sacrifice Jesus made, it deepens our understanding of love. So Jesus laid down the glories and riches of heaven to come to earth. He laid down his heavenly body for an earthly body. He laid down his time for those who called and came to him. When he sat in the Garden of Gethsemane, he laid down his own desires for the will of his Father. He laid down his body to be beaten bruised, wounded, spit upon, spit upon, and crucified. He laid down his sinless life to take our sin upon himself. And we will never fully understand all that God has laid down for each and every one of us. Through his perfect obedience and sacrifice, he overcame the power of sin and death so that he could offer us life that is eternal. He offers it freely to us. For those who believe in him, this is the life and love that we now know. We know it. It's not just in our minds, 
but we live and experience it through our relationship with him. When we begin to understand and experience the reality of receiving this incredible gift that God has given us, how can we keep it to ourselves? Verse 17 says this, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If you go back to John 15, 12 through 13, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I want you to think one more time about the things that Jesus has laid down. And then I want you to ask yourself the question, what am I laying down? How many of us struggle to even sacrifice some of the small things in our lives for another person? But that's exactly what Christ asks us to do. We often talk about becoming more like Jesus, but is that just words? If we are following Jesus, then we are being asked to lay down our life as well. We can choose not to, or we can choose to let go, surrendering all to the one who gave up everything for us is also the most Christ-like we can ever be. John Wesley wrote a covenant prayer, which I think shows us the level of sacrifice in which we are called to. I'm not saying that we will ever reach this level of commitment, but it certainly would be a great goal to strive for. And this was his prayer. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine, and I am yours. So be it. In the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. This is a goal that I realize that many of us will struggle with. We're not going to reach this. But often we think in our minds and say with our mouth what we want to do. But when it comes to carrying them out, we often fall fall short. Verse 18 challenges us. It says this, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This is what we are called to do. And when we are able to carry this out, I believe that the people around us recognize the sacrificial nature of it. Relationships are not built on selfishness, but on giving. The sacrificial gift, whether it is time, money, encouragement, whether it's love, it builds relationships. 
and it points to the gospel and our relationship with Jesus. Many of you at this point might even be thinking to yourselves, you know what, I struggle to lay down my life, even in small ways. And maybe this even questions, uh, brings into question in your mind your faith in Jesus. But this brings us to the third thing that we know about Jesus, about our relationship with Jesus. We know truth, okay? Or we know that we are of the truth, okay? Verse 19 says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. All right. So it starts off by saying, um, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. Okay? What is truth is an age-old question that has been around for centuries, right? There are many books, philosophies, and institutions that try to tell you about truth. Remember, Jason talked three weeks ago about the, the three lies uh, that, that are prevalent in our culture today. There is no truth. If I feel it, it must be true and you only live once, right? These are very self-centered philosophies, but there is more to life than living for oneself. Some of the lies that Satan wants us to believe is that Jesus was just a story. He was a teacher or a prophet. He was an enlightened person, a wise human. Satan wants to blur the truth of who Jesus is is okay but something that is true is based in fact and reality right okay we follow a god who is true he is not just some carved image or made up story he is real he is true and i want to say it again we follow a god who is true there are many things that point to this fact, and I'm just going to go through a couple of these, or a few of these this morning. But first of all, we can look to historical writings that confirm that he lived from both Christian and secular sources. We can look at our calendars and see that Jesus made an impact on time itself, right? Calendars are based off of B.C., and A.D., right? Before Christ and Annos Domini, which is actually short for Annos Domini Nostri Jesu Christi, the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can look at the Bible and see that the Gospels were written just decades after the actual events. To compare this with other historical writings, okay, the, there are books out there, say, like, consider the Iliad and the Odyssey, that were written hundreds of years, but they're considered very factual books or, or very relevant historical books. Uh, 
the Gospels were written only decades after the actual event. Much more recent than some of those books that we, other books that we trust in. The reliability of Scripture has proven itself even against former atheists that came to know Jesus, such as Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, and C.S. Lewis. There's plenty of others. We can point to more than 300 prophecies that were written well before Jesus ever lived that came true. We can also point to the fact that there were more than 500 eyewitnesses that saw that he was alive after being crucified, dead, and buried. And that will hold up in any court of law today. And in Scripture, we have what Jesus said and claimed, right? That he was God. It is all true. Let's take a look at an example of this in a conversation that Jesus had with Pilate after Jesus' arrest. And Jesus says to Pilate in John 18, 37, it says this, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to me. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Pilate was looking at Jesus in the face. He was staring right at the truth, and he didn't understand that. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the truth. And we can know that we are of the truth if we place our faith in him. The most important question that you have to answer is, have you placed your faith and trust in him? If you have said yes to that question, you can have confidence. There's also other questions that give us confidence that we are of the truth. Are you pursuing him? Are you reading his word and doing your best to follow him? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to guide you and help you to overcome sin in your life? These are all questions that help us to reassure us that we know the truth, that we know Jesus, and that we are of the truth. Verse 19 says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. God is greater than our hearts. Because we are human and sometimes fall and fail, our hearts at times condemn us, and we begin to doubt. But verse 20 reminds us that he knows everything. He knows where you're at in your faith. He knows the good and the bad. He knows all of your sins, past, present, and the future. But God is greater than our hearts. And despite our weaknesses and failures, we can have confidence in God. If you have recognized your sinfulness, 
it is evidence that Jesus has opened your eyes. As we mature in Christ, this doesn't always go away either. In fact, sometimes we recognize our sinfulness even more as we mature in our faith. But this also increases our gratitude for what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. 1 Corinthians talks about sinners in chapter 6, verse 11, and it says this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. When you placed your faith in Jesus because he opened your eyes to recognize your sin and you repented and trusted in Jesus to save you, you were justified and you were declared righteous in the sight of God. You are of the truth. We can also be sure that he will continue that work in us. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He does not give up on us. This brings us to the fourth thing that we can know about our relationship with Jesus. We know abiding or abiding love. Okay? Verse 23, it says this, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. When we come to faith by believing in Jesus— When we come to faith by believing in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our life and begins to help us to change. God abides or lives within us and changes us, and we begin to live differently than what we did before. These and many other scriptures teach us that our love should be different than the world around us. Early in the history of the church, it was their love for Jesus and their love for each other that set them apart. And this caused people to take notice. This love anchored their witness of the message of the gospel. It was obvious who they were abiding in. Jesus taught his disciples this from the very start, that we are to love one another. John 13, 34 tells the disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Do you remember when Jesus spoke these words? Do you know what came right before this? Jesus had washed the disciples' feet and informed them that one of them was about to betray him and help send him to his death. He demonstrated a servant-minded, sacrificial love that looks to the interests of others even in the midst of betrayal. John would have been in that room with Jesus and would have experienced 
the humble example of Jesus laying down his kingship in order to be a servant and wash the disciples' feet. I need to finish. <laughs> I'm going to finish up this message. But let's go back to the first verse in this passage. It says this. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Actually, before I, I want to make sure I got everything that I needed to. Yep, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I want to start, I want to go back to that first verse. Verse 11 says this. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, okay? That we should love one another. Having a Christ-like love for others gives us assurance about our relationship with Jesus. Before I close, I want to ask you one more question. Do you know Jesus? I'm not talking about the first definition that we discussed, that you are aware of him, you have observed him, that you've inquired about him, and you know a lot of information about him. This is just mental assent. I am talking about the second definition here, that you have developed a relationship through meeting and spending time with him that you are familiar with, with who he is, and realize that he is your savior and your friend, okay? If you are here this morning, and you realize that you know about Jesus, but really don't have a relationship with him, will you let us pray with you this morning? After the worship team comes and sings one last song, we would love to pray with you and so that you might truly know who he is. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come up at this time. But I want to leave you with one last story as we, as we close. Okay. This is about a man named... Joe. Now, I want you to separate this from, from Joe, <laughs> okay? Um, but this was about a different man named Joe, all right? goes like this. Joe was a drunk that was miraculously converted at a city mission. Prior to his conversion, Joe had gained the reputation of being a dirty drunk for whom there was no hope only a miserable existence in the city. But following his conversion to a new life with God, everything changed. Joe became the most caring person that anyone associated with the mission had ever known. Joe spent his days and nights hanging out at the mission, doing whatever needed to be done. There was never any task that was too lowly for Joe to take on. There was never anything that he was asked to do that he considered 
beneath him. Whether it was cleaning up the vomit left by some violently sick person or scrubbing the toilets after careless men left the bathroom filthy, Joe did what was asked of him with a soft smile on his face and with a seeming gratitude for the chance to help. He could be counted on to feed feeble men who wandered into the mission off the street and to tuck into bed men who were too far out of it to take care of themselves. One evening, the director of the mission was delivering his evening evangelistic message to the usual crowd of still and solemn men with drooped heads. And there was one man who looked up, came down to the altar, and knelt to pray, crying out for God for change, to help him to change. This repentant man said, Oh God, make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. Make me like Joe. The director of the mission leaned over and said to the, the man, Son, I think it would be better if you prayed, Make me like Jesus. The man looked up at the director with a quizzical expression on his face and asked, Is he like Joe? The first real communication about faith with others usually comes through people who demonstrate loving humility in regular everyday events especially during tough times in life when we share humble self-sacrificing love we are helping others to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke 10:27 says this, and he answered, "You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself." Let us pray real quick before we sing one last song. Father, we thank you so much for your love and how it transforms our lives. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to love as you have loved us with a sacrificial, servant-minded love for others. Thank you for your example. Thank you for saving us and giving us eternal life, for forgiving us of our sins. And I pray, Father, that you would just help us through the power of your Holy Spirit, to become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.